You are listening to sermon audio from College Creek Church in Annapolis, Maryland. For more information on this local body of believers, visit us online at collegecreekchurch.org or in person every Sunday at 11 a.m. Well, let's talk about your love life. Not that love life, but let's talk about the life of love that we are called to live towards one another. A life of radical, God-empowered love. You know, love is the, the central theme of Scripture. It is the overwhelming and incomprehensible love that was experienced within the Godhead that resulted in, in the creation of everything, the creation of, of mankind. God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have eternally existed in infinite loving relationship with one another. And from the overflow of that love, they created mankind. From the overflow of that love, they created us. And, and not just the, the us at the beginning, but you. You. The Bible says that, that God was intimately involved in the making of you, of knitting you together in your mother's womb. He's intimately involved in your coming to be and your continuing to be. And from the very moment that God created mankind, he began to shower them with love. If you read Genesis chapter 2, it tells us that he creates mankind and then he gives him all of creation as a gift and as a blessing. And, and we know that God would walk with Adam and Eve in, in the cool of the evening as they experience that loving relationship together until that, that fateful day when mankind chose to love God and pursued after the passing pleasures of this world instead, the passing pleasures of sin. But God's response to that act of rebellion was just more love. He came seeking after them, calling after them. He wouldn't let them hide from him. And he found them. And he talked with them. And he set in place a way for them to come back into loving relationship with him. And and that that love, that radical self-giving love of God is the story of the Bible. It's the story. And that love is costly. The love to to buy us back from, from sin, a love that would enable that any who would repent and believe in Jesus would now become the beloved children of God. Right now, because of, of that, any anyone can come into restored relationship with God. We no longer need to be afraid or ashamed or alone anymore. We can rest in the radical love of God. But that is costly. It was costly that he would send his only son to die so that we could experience his love. Well, if the, if the story of scripture is God's radical love of us, the call of scripture is that we now would live into that same sort of radical love. 
And so the two greatest commandments that we read in Scripture are that we're to love the Lord our God with every aspect of our being. Everything you have, right? You've, you've read that love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And some of us are tempted sometimes to think that there's something that's part of us that's not part of our mind and strength and heart and soul. But let me tell you, every part of who you are, love God with it all, totally and fully, and love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus actually connects those two together for us in Matthew 25 when he tells them that when we've shown love to someone else, when we show love to someone, we actually are showing it to him, right? So when we give someone food and drink and clothing and hospitality, we're actually doing an act of love to Jesus himself. And so let's talk about your love life. The call on on each of us to live lives of radical, God-empowered love. Our our passage today is in 1 Peter chapter 4, and it's the follow-up to a message that we actually heard two weeks ago, the last time that um, I preached. We heard this message from the very beginning of 1 Peter 4 that basically said that for Christians, for, for followers of Jesus, for those who have encountered his love, it's simply enough already with the sinful living of indulgence. It's enough. And so you may remember that 1 Peter 4 verse 3 says this, for the time that passed suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. He says it's enough already. It's enough with that way of living. Well, our passage today starts in verse 7, and it's going to give us the other side of the equation. Instead of living lives of drunkenness and passions, he calls us to live lives of that are sober and self-controlled. No longer hearts that are full of lust, but hearts that are full of love. Our homes, no longer a place for orgies and drinking parties, but they're places of radical hospitality where we used to exploit one another, now we serve one another. And that's the call for all of us who have encountered God's love, that we now would share that love with others, that we would live lives of radical, God-empowered love. So let's look at this passage from 1 Peter 4. We're going to read starting in verse 7. If you have your Bible with you, you can go ahead and, and turn there. If you picked up one of these Bibles on your way in, you'll find it on page 1,119. Of course, we have it on the screen also. But we do want to remind you that if you don't own a Bible, if you don't have a Bible of your own at home, please just take one of those with you because we want you to have a copy of God's word of your very own. Okay, let me read 1 Peter 4, starting in verse 7. It says this, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks, as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves, as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. 
So in a sentence, our passage simply tells us that we should love others, even if they're different than you, in the power of God and for the glory of God. But we need to talk about our love lives. Because I think that many of us like to love in a way that's easy for us. We don't like to step into this sort of radical love, a love that is so radical that it could be only described as God-empowered, that it doesn't make any sense outside of the power of God. But he says here, Peter says in verse 8, this is your highest calling above all. That is to say, more than anything else, keep loving one another earnestly, deeply, constantly, intensely, radically. But I think many of us love weakly. We love from from the overflow. We love from a place of of safety and, and protection. But love is to be sacrificial. It's to be self-giving. To truly love others is to love them first. Or perhaps we, we might say to love them second, right? We love God first, but then we love them second. In order to love your neighbor as you love yourself, you must love your neighbor before you love yourself. Radical love. Sacrificial love. But to live like that, to love like that. We like to make sure we have everything that we need and want. Right? We like to, then we can love. I like to love from, from, a, from a distance, right? From, from the other side of town or the other side of a checkbook or the other side of a soup line in a place of safety, in security, in the little domain that we've built. We want to love from there. But the word for love that he's using here, that's the word for God's love. This is the agape love. This is the love that God loved us with, the sort of love that God has for us. That's what he says, go and show other people that kind of love. And and while we are encouraged when we remember what Jesus did, we're encouraged. He left the safety of heaven to come and to live among us. We love that. We just don't want to think that that's ever what he would call us to do. I mean, he did it. Commentator Edmund Clowney says, it's the reach of God's love that stretches our love. And so we love because he first loved us. Our love is kindled by God's love. Right, Truly, it is our love of God that encourages our love of others, but it's God's love for us that empowers our love of others. So he says, above all, love with a radical love, a God-empowered love. And love people even if they've hurt you. You see that little phrase there? He says, love covers a multitude of sins. His point isn't that somehow your love of someone else can save them, right? Only Jesus's love can do that. That's only his. But his point instead is that your love of them can cover their sin against you. You can love them past their sin. 
You can, you can love them even when they've hurt you. It doesn't mean that when someone sins against you, it doesn't matter. It means that it doesn't sever. We can cover their sin. Here's what Matthew 18 says. Matthew 18, 15 says, if your brother sins against you, it might as well just say when. When your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. And if he listens to you, you've gained your brother because your love can cover the sin. Now, did the sin matter? Yeah. Did it need to be dealt with? Absolutely. But does it need to bring an end to that relationship? No. No, that's the kind of love that we've received from Jesus, a love that covers over sin. It's dealt with them. It's brought us in and our relationship with God to an even, an even better relationship with him because now we know more of his grace. We know more of his love. This is the kind of love we are called to show to others, radical, God-empowered love. But now, in our passage, if we look at verse 9, he's going to use a different word. In verse 9, he says, no longer love. Now he says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. He replaces the word love with the word hospitality. But literally, in the Greek, the, the word for hospitality is just two words that are put together. It's the word love and the word for stranger. Love strangers. Love people who are different than you. Those two words put together, he says, show hospitality. Love different sorts of people. That's radical love. Not just to love those who are just like us, who like the same things as us, who want to do the same things as us, but love those who are different than us, who like different things than us. Love people who are different than you. And I might add, even if the things or the ways that they're different seem like a big deal to you, love them anyways. Love people who are different even when everybody who's the same as you tells you to hate them, tells you to avoid them, tells you to be scared of them. This is the sort of love that Jesus is talking about in his parable, the, the Good Samaritan. Right? Jesus has said that, that verse that, that we read earlier, love your neighbor as yourself. And the immediate question, the question perhaps that many of us ask a little too often as well, is, well, who's my neighbor? Love my neighbor? Okay, maybe. But can we get some parameters here? Who am I supposed to love specifically, he says. And Jesus begins to tell a story about a neighborly Samaritan, a loving and hospitable Samaritan. And the reason that it matters is because the Jews, the people he's talking to, and the Samaritans, the people he's talking about, hated each other. They didn't even talk to each other. So you may remember in another story from the life of Jesus, Jesus begins talking to this Samaritan woman, and listen to what she says. This is John 4. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, would ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And so Jesus tells a story to a bunch of Jews about a Jewish man being beaten and robbed and left to die on the side of the road. And then listen to what happens. This is Luke 10, starting in verse 33. It says this, but a Samaritan. 
as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. And he went to him and he bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. So not only did he stop, but then he looks on him, the person he's supposed to hate, and he has compassion, and he took care of him, and he loved him. He got off his animal, put him on the animal. He loved him before himself, and he tended to him all night long. And then he gives two days' wages. That's what a denarii is. It's a whole day's wage. He gives two days' wages to the innkeeper and says, make sure he's taken care of and spend more if you need to because I'm coming back and I'll take care of all of it. Promised even more. He's loving with radical love. And he's loving somebody who's different than him. Someone he's supposed to hate. Someone that all of his friends would have told him to avoid, to be afraid of. The Jews had the power. And so this Samaritan should fear him. And yet he loves him. And think about, he put him on his this beaten man. And he's pulling him behind on his animal into a Jewish city. What would they have thought when he walked into that city? but that he is the reason that this man looks this way. But he loves him to his own peril, stepping into a place of fear because of love. But why? Why would we love? Why love like that? Well, he begins the passage by telling us the answer. He says, because the end is near. The end is near. You know that classic question? If you knew that the world would end tomorrow, how would you live today, right? Well, Peter doesn't say that the world is going to end tomorrow, but how would you live today? Peter knows better than to say that. Jesus told him not to speculate. Jesus said, don't speculate about times or seasons. Just know that it's coming. Be ready is what Jesus said. And so now Peter passes that same warning on. He says, the end is near, so be ready. We ought to be ever ready. So if the world was going to end tomorrow, how would you live today? I mean, I I suppose you would be far more willing to live with radical love. I know that I would be more clear-headed about the consequences of my actions. I would be more open-handed with my plans and with my possessions. Jesus in Matthew 24 tells us that the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. And then he lays out two different ways that we could be while he is away. He says there's a faithful and wise servant and there's a wicked servant. The faithful and wise servant is ever caring for others. He's busy about the work of his master constantly. And the wicked servant 
is hurting others. He's beating others and he's spending his days in drunkenness. And Peter tells us that the end is near. So live radically. Love like the faithful and wise servant. Love like you would love if you believed that the end was near. Because it is. But as you can imagine, that sort of love is far beyond our comfort. Right? Frankly, it's beyond our capacity as well, right? It's, it's easy to say, well, I would love that way if, if tomorrow was the end, but what if I don't know that it's tomorrow? I mean, it's far more difficult to be radical in my love when I'm worried about a whole lot of tomorrows that are still yet to come, right? It's far more difficult for me to be self-sacrificial when I have to actually live with the consequences of that sacrifice. And Peter understands that. And this is why if, if we're to love like that, to love with a radical love, it must be empowered by God. So look back at verses 10 and 11. It says this, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And so he uses yet again a new word with the same basic meaning. First he said love, then he says show hospitality, and now he says serve. Serve one another. Different words, but essentially the same meaning. Maybe even growing in meaning in some ways, right? Love, even if they're different, and not just with sentiment or feeling, but with active service. But the only way that it is possible to love like that is by the strength that God supplies. It's God's grace. It's God's gift. It's God's power, right? We're simply stewards of it. That's what he says. We're stewards of it, whatever it is. To love radically, we must be empowered by God to do so. So notice that Peter doesn't give some big list of all the different gifts that you might possibly have. He just says two things, two distinct categories here. He says, whatever gift you have, they fall into these two distinct categories. And here's what really matters is that it's from God. It's empowered by God. It's for the glory of God. You didn't do it. That's your gift. So, Edmund Clowney, again, says there's a problem in the way we normally talk about spiritual gifts. He says, Christians are eager to discuss spiritual gifts, but their concern is not how they can serve others and bring glory to God. Rather, they seek self-fulfillment. They want to know what their gift is so they can establish their own identity. And so in a Christian context, they want to just do their own thing. They want to be able to say, well, that's my gift. So I do my gift, even though Paul tells us that we ought to be pursuing even more gifts. We like to say, well, that's it. I'll do this. It's about me. It's about my identity. But the gifts, the gifts that we are granted are for service. No one of us has received a gift from God simply for ourselves. You don't have one. You do not have a gift that was given to you for you spiritual gift or otherwise. 
Every gift that comes from God is for you to steward for the sake of others and his glory, every gift. And every good and perfect gift comes from God. So he gave it all and he expects you to steward it all to love others and to glorify him. The gifts and blessings we receive from the Lord are for us to steward in service. That's radical sorts of love, God-empowered love. And if I begin to actually do that and see that, when I begin to actually love people with what God has given me and then just say, well, that's all, that's all God. He did that. What begins to happen in my life is I get to give glory to God. I don't own, I can't own any of it, right? That's what the ending of, of our passage tells us. When we live with that sort of radical God-empowered love, then in everything, God is glorified. The goal is not that people would admire or adore or even thank you. The goal is not that your name would be on a plaque or a building would be named after you or a scholarship would be named after you or any other of the accolades. The goal is not about you. The goal is about the glory of God. Our hope is that as we radically love others, that God would be praised, that God would be glorified. Our hope is that when we love radically and sacrificially, we would have the opportunity to declare the truth of an even more radical love, an even better love that they could encounter, the love of Jesus. Jesus who knew no sin and yet became sin for us so that we might become in him the righteousness of God. He died so that we could live. And there's no greater love than that. No greater love. And when we love others with a radical God-empowered love, because we've been loved with an even better love, then we get to say to them, oh, you thought that was good? You thought what I did was nice? Let me tell you about something far better. Let me tell you about the person you really need to meet because he's way better than I am. And we give all the glory back to God. So let's give him glory in prayer even now. Would you pray with me? God, all the glory is unto you. For every gift that we have received is from you. And even the fact that you would let us steward the things from you is an incredible, incredible grace. That you would trust us with your gifts. And so Lord, we pray that you would make us faithful. Lord, make us faithful to, to steward those gifts in love of others. And we would love like you love. And we would be willing to sacrifice like you sacrificed for your glory and for the sake of those who don't yet know you. And we ask, Lord, that as we love, that you really would empower all that we do. In Christ's name, amen.